Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we look at an often talked about portion of the electorate and take a last look at election preparations. Latino voters are the fastest growing voting population in the United States. Between 2010 and 2020, Arizona's Latino population grew by about 40%. Their vote could determine the outcome of the midterm elections happening in less than two weeks. AZPM reporter Paula Rodriguez joins me in the studio to talk about how we understand voting demographics within the Hispanic Latino vote in interviews she did with conservative Latinos and researchers on the matter. So, Paula, welcome to the studio. Hi, thank you so much. So where do we begin when we try to understand how Latinos, Hispanics vote? I think the best place to start is to understand how culture influences political attitudes. I spoke with Dr. Samara Klar from the University of Arizona about this, and she mentioned that different from other voting populations, Hispanic Americans are much more likely to have a stronger sense of religious identity. However, the Hispanic community has a lot of cross-cutting identities or other salient identities that can pull them in both directions. Most prominently, Hispanic Americans are much more likely to have a stronger sense of religion or a stronger religious identity than, for example, white Democrats. If we want to compare Hispanic Democrats to white Democrats, just focusing solely on those who are Democrats, Hispanic Democrats do tend to have somewhat more conservative viewpoints or perspectives that mirror the Republican Party to a much larger extent than white Democrats will. Hispanic Democrats tend to be a little bit more socially conservative than white Democrats. And of course, that again comes down to religious ties, especially Catholicism among Hispanic voters. She also mentioned how it's because of these same factors that influence political ideologies that make it easier for Hispanic voters to actually relate to opposing parties. What's really fascinating about the Hispanic community is there's much more shared identities across the aisle. Democratic Hispanics and Republican Hispanics have many shared identities that are really important to them. So for example, their identity as as an ethnic minority, linguistic identities, their religious ties. These are things that are actually quite important to both Democratic and Republican Hispanics. And it's why Hispanic Americans report much warmer feelings toward the opposing party than do white Americans. So this sort of angry, uh, sort of hostile polarization that we hear so much about in the news, turns out it actually applies much more to white partisans than it does to Hispanic partisans. So different issues and beliefs vary person by person, even more so when you look at country of origin and heritage. What do you mean by that? Well, for example, Cuban Americans tend to be more conservative than Mexican Americans. A lot of that comes down to history. So when Cubans were uh, welcomed into the United States, that was under a Republican administration, and those ties have really lasted. There's been a lot of loyalty there. And we can see that sort of the history of how previous presidential administrations have treated incoming immigrants or incoming refugees has these really long lasting ties. So for generations, we tend to see loyalties toward those presidential administrations. Considering that a large part of Arizona's Hispanic voting population comes from Mexican heritage, we see this type of influence and party affiliation here. In a Latino voter profile published by the National Association of Latino Elected and Appointed Officials, they found that 45% identified with the Democratic Party and 15% identified as Republican. That leaves about 40% of Latino voters not affiliated with either major party. That number speaks to the larger conversation that we're having here today about connectivity to issues across the aisle for Hispanic voters and how culture can influence political beliefs. 
So knowing that you talked specifically with conservative Latinos about how they came to their beliefs, what were those conversations like? Overall, there were strong themes of this idea of family legacy and achieving the American dream. One of the people I talked to, his name is Dominic Escamilla. He's a 52-year-old Republican and a lifelong Tucsonan. His parents are from Texas, and his family has been there all the way dating back to the days when the Republic of Texas broke away from Mexico. But further back in his heritage, his family came from Spain. Before he was born, his family had to move around a lot. My parents were migrant farm workers, actually, and my older siblings, you know, they they did pick crops in California, and they moved around to different states during different times of, you know, when they were going to go and picked certain crops. Eventually, his family landed in Illinois, where his dad learned to weld. They moved to Tucson around the same time that Escamilla's mother was pregnant with him for health reasons, and he has been here ever since. For him, he really points to this idea of having something to call your own, like personal property rights, as one of the factors for his conservative views. How did the move eventually change his life and influence his political beliefs? Well, his family very much came from the idea of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. His dad eventually opened a welding business called Escamilla and Sons Welding, and that left a huge imprint of how he saw this idea of the American dream. It's funny that my name was, you know, my name was on a building for for a business before I was born because he knew he wanted us to have a family business and he was going to teach us that. And that's hard. You know, our employees got paid before we did. You know, I saw a lot of times where, you know, we're scraping by, but we're making payroll, you know, and and that's those lessons were invaluable. Then his dad passed away when he was 18. And with his brothers, he became one of the partners of the family business. Eventually, he strayed away from that because it was more of his dad's dream to pass the family business along. And Escamilla at the time really wanted to go into the restaurant industry. I used to own a restaurant in Phoenix. I went in Tucson. And and, uh, and then 2007, 2008 happened where, you know, the economy really tanked and you know, gas got really expensive like it is now and everything. And, and I got a recruitment letter out of the blue from Country Financial saying, hey, you know, sometimes our best clients come from our customer base. And I was a client of theirs for like 12 years. So the opportunity fell in my lap and I, I jumped at it and it started, you know, as, as insurance and financial services. And then I started really understanding the financial side. So I've ran with that since. Overall, with becoming a business owner himself and seeing his parents work, that really solidified the idea to him that he was most aligned with conservative values because of this idea of hard work. Did his parents or family talk a lot about politics? I would say he was really influenced by his family growing up. He described his father as a JFK Democrat and eventually a Ronald Reagan Democrat. And his earliest memory about politics was when he was 10, right around the time of the release of the hostages from Iran. I remember my dad telling me about that. It's like, yeah, because Carter's a weak man and he wasn't doing anything about it. And they knew Reagan would do something about it. So once he got elected, they, they let him go. And I don't know if that's historically exactly how it happened. Cause I was 10, you know, but that's how I remember it. And, and uh, that's, those are the discussions I remember having with my father. Ever since then, Escamilla says that he has never wavered from his conservative beliefs and wears it on his shoulder. Most people who know him know that he is conservative. Ironically, another person I spoke with, Carlos Riaz, owner of HT Metals, who is also a conservative Latino, pointed towards Ronald Reagan as a turning point for his political ideologies. When I was 18, that was probably right in the 80s, the early 80s, that was Ronald Reagan. And I could sense that even as a young man, that something wasn't right with the country. And so I'm the only 
Republican in my family. I registered as a Republican. And the message of listening to Ronald Reagan about personal responsibility and, and hard work and that'll get you ahead. And that actually resonated with me. Different from Escamilla, Ria says that he was a black sheep in his family when it came to his beliefs. What made him feel like that? Well, Rias' parents were Depression-era children, and because of that, Rias told me that they really respected and supported FDR, sharing that they really thought he really helped people during the Depression. Rias even said that his dad cried when JFK was killed. Granted, that was a very traumatic time for most Americans, but it really goes to show how much his family really aligned themselves with Democratic values. What was it about the conservative stances or ideology that really attracted him? Kind of like Escamilla, for Riaz, it was a lot about this idea of working hard. If you work hard and have determination and, and I, I would say delay your gratification, you can achieve success, you can achieve wealth. With wealth becomes political power. So the Republican conservative uh, message just resonated with me. You see this trend in Riaz's lifetime, too. He was a first-generation college student at the University of Arizona, where he earned a bachelor's in material science and engineering and continued a long career in materials engineering and raw material supply chain management. He also founded HT Metals, which is a distributor of raw metals. So he very much embraced the idea of transforming hard work and success into political power. Outside of work, Riaz is involved in the community. At one point, he was on the Tenka Verde Unified School District Governing Board, serving as board president, a treasurer and chairman of the Tucson Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and now he is on the Arizona State Board of Charter Schools. But as much as Ruiz embraces his conservative views, he did share at one point he did vote for the Democratic Party, Bill Clinton, in 1992 because of what he said was this reinstatement of the idea of the American dream. But that was the only time he ever did that. But that does speak to the idea that Hispanic voters are diverse in their views, even when they align themselves with a particular party. You also spoke with Elizabeth Gonzalez Gan, a nutritionist and founder of Dr. Gan's Diet of Hope. Tell us about her. She grew up very poor. Her dad was from Chihuahua, Mexico, and her mom was from Texas, similar to Escamilla. For her, she began her life as a first-generation migrant farmer to support her family in moving to California. Eventually, her dad would leave, and it left her mom to raise her and her siblings. Even though she was a housewife, she was enterprising and said, you know, we have to do something. We are not just going to sit here and starve. So she had a brother in California, and he told her, come on over here. There's a lot of work. And so that's what we did. We went over there, and we started working in the fields up there. It wasn't easy for her. She faced a lot of criticism for her economic status and stereotyping. When we spoke, she was telling me about a time when she was giving someone directions on how to get home, and that forever stuck with her. When I told him, you know, uh, turn here, this is the street, and he told me, he goes, okay, stop. He says, you don't have to tell me which house you live in. He goes, I'm going to find the poorest house on this street, and that'll be your home. It was sadly the truth. It hurt my heart. And to this day, I remember that conversation. So it was through these instances and her upbringing that really drove her to realize she was someone who really valued the idea of hard work and wanted to do everything possible to fight this narrative that she felt was pushed onto her. So how did she find herself registering as a Republican? 
In a way, it was a bit out of spite. When she was registering at first, she was still trying to understand the differences between the two parties, and the person working voter registration did not help her. In fact, he stereotyped her because of her background. So as I was registering to vote, I remember very specifically looking up and asking the gentleman that handed me the voter registration, and I said, well, what is the difference between the Democrat and the Republican. And he looked at me and he says, well, he goes, you're a Democrat. He goes, because you're Hispanic, you're probably poor, and you're Catholic. And of course, I was poor. I am Hispanic, but I was not Catholic. I was uh, Protestant uh, or apostolic. And so at that moment, I registered Republican. And uh, believe it or not, that's what I have remained. And I have found that my ideals really connect with the, you know, Republican Party or the conservative party. It's interesting that she dealt with that stereotype even when registering to vote. Did any of the others you talked to have similar stories about being pushed to the Democratic Party just based on their heritage or the way they looked? Well, Gonzalez Gone was not the only one who mentioned an instance like this. Escamilla's wife is a naturalized citizen, and he told me her story that was a bit similar. So she came from Mexico, and as she got her citizenship, they handed her her uh, voter registration, and they said, you're a Democrat because Mexicans vote Democrat. That's what they told her. And she's just dutifully signed up as a Democrat. Her parents are Democrats. She's not a Democrat anymore, but it's astounding. They literally just believe that. Dr. Clark, the UA professor, was telling me that this idea comes from the Democratic Party's history with civil rights. So I think that people tend to associate uh, ethnic minorities or non-white minorities with the Democratic Party because of sort of the Democratic Party's history with, for example, the Civil Rights Act. Um, And that tends to um, draw in a more diverse, non-white, ethnic minority uh, voter base. But it's still important to emphasize the number from earlier that 45 percent of Latinos in Arizona identified with the Democratic Party. That's not a small number, but there is a lot of diversity of views within both parties and in the 40 percent that didn't identify with either party. What's the biggest takeaway you had from all of this? They all made it very clear that Hispanic and Latino voters are not a monolithic, cohesive block, especially since there's a lot of cross-cutting identities. Even now, Hispanic voters are polling that the top issue for them is inflation. They're not just a group that only looks towards issues like immigration, but everything that is happening. Dr. Clark described it best. Latinos are not a cohesive block that can be relied upon to unanimously support the Democratic Party. It is a very diverse group of voters that sort of deserves full attention from both parties because they have a diversity of views that align really across both parties. In many ways, Hispanic voters have more um, multidimensional views on politics in, in, in many ways because they are pulled by two conflicting identities, sort of a more conservative social upbringing might be one versus a more progressive view toward race, toward ethnicity, toward sort of the fabric of American society. Paola, thanks for all your reporting on this. Thank you. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. The election is less than two weeks away, which means mail-in ballots are now headed back to be counted. The work to register voters, then send out and receive early ballots in Arizona, is done by county recorders. We spoke with Pima County recorder Gabriela Cáceres-Kelly to see what keeps her and her staff busy this time of year. 
We see, you know, people moving from within the county, moving outside of the county, new people coming in, first-time voter registration, people removing themselves from the active early voting list or changing parties. So we see a flurry of activity. And so that number kind of fluctuates. It goes up and down and up and down every single day. Has there been much change in people seeking early ballots? How does it compare to previous years? Because that's always the big question right at this point. What we're looking at from the numbers, um, we're at right about the same where we were in 2018 at at this time, uh, two weeks before the election. We are seeing a number of people calling our offices and asking us, well, what if I don't want to vote this ballot by mail and I want to show up in person? which, by the way, is very easy to do. Um, A law changed in September, making it so that if you show up at an early voting site and you have not yet voted, you will be issued a standard ballot. And that's the key. You have not yet voted. You can't vote twice. (laughs) Right. It is illegal to vote twice. That is very much frowned upon. There are situations that warrant not intentionally breaking the law, but being maybe concerned about your ballot. There are people that it's very easy to explain why this person voted twice. Maybe they pop pop something in the, the mail and it didn't show up by election day and they were feeling really panicky. So then they went out to an election site. Those are completely understandable. But we are also really mindful of people who are intentionally trying to thwart the system and cast two ballots. Like if you go to one early voting site, drive 10 minutes and then go to another I'm pretty sure that you can remember that you just voted. We definitely pass those names along to uh, the county attorney's office. And, you know, they, for some of these people, will move forward on any type of investigation for election fraud. You mentioned casting a ballot if you're on the early voting list on Election Day. I know we're supposed to mail them in seven days in advance, and that deadline's coming. If Thursday of next week you've missed that deadline, can you just take your early ballot to a voting center on Election Day and hand it in, or do you have to be issued an all-new ballot? You can drop off your ballot in person at any early voting site, an emergency voting site, or vote center. The difference is if you want your ballot to be part of the election night results, you need to get it back to us as soon as possible. So what a lot of people don't know is that election night results are largely early ballots. And here in Pima County, they do central tabulation. Pima County is huge. So if you're far out, um, your election results are not going to be part of those batches. Right. If you're coming from Ajo, they have to be driven in. That's not a quick drive. Right. And I I think a lot of people are also like, well, what's the point if they already determined the winner? I think people have this misconception that that we only tabulate until there's a winner of a race. And then we're like, oh, that's it. Everybody go home. Like, that is not the case. That is not what happens. We continue tabulation until every eligible ballot can legally be cast is tabulated. It is our legal responsibility to ensure that we process every single ballot Just a quick reminder, because people have historically, for 30 years in Arizona, voted early by mail. But this time around, there is much more of a a move to vote on Election Day. People might not be as used to it as they used to be. 
What do they need to bring with them to make sure that they can cast that ballot on Election Day if they want to vote in person? The Elections Department in Pima County is responsible for Election Day voting. My office, the recorder's office, we oversee the phones on Election Day. People don't have to go to any specific precinct. They can go to literally any location. You will need to have your proper identification for the for the majority of people. That's going to be a driver's license. For other folks who um, maybe don't have a driver's license or state ID, that might be two pieces of mail that have your address, maybe a bank statement and a bill, or any piece of official election mail that you've received from our office, your voter ID card, your tribal ID card. If you have questions about where to go or what to bring with you, you can definitely check pima.gov slash vote 2022. Um, and that'll have all information about voting. Thanks for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you for helping get the word out about voting. And uh, to all the listeners, thank you for voting. That was Pima County recorder Gabriela Caceres Kelly. While registration and early ballots are handled by a county recorder, the act of managing polling places and counting the ballots is done by the county elections department. We spoke with Pima County's elections director, Constance Hargrove, to find out how her department's preparation for the midterms is going. Actually, things are going well in the elections department. We're busy, of course, um, getting things done, but they're actually going well. So staffing is often a problem, uh, getting enough people to work the, the election centers and all of that. Do you have the folks you need for the voting centers and all of the things that volunteers do, or do you still need more people? So most we have most of the vote centers staffed, fully staffed. Um, we have a few that we need some people in. I mean, they're very specific vote centers. I mean, if so vote center two is one of the locations that we need to staff. Um, vote center two is Ajo. Um, vote center 93. Some of these are going to be in the cells area. 92 um, shook took and I'm just getting here from Virginia. So if I mess up these names, forgive me. So we need maybe one or two people in several locations. So it's not an entire vote center. It's not just one party. It's both parties. Um, but it's not major at this point. If somebody wants to help out, should they just call your office? And I assume there's some training involved and things like that. Yes. So that's been the concern. People have applied to work the polls and the way that we were staffing before is that they, if they live close by a vote center, that's where they would assign them. So we're looking for people who are flexible, who are willing to drive. And if they've already applied, then they can call in, um, probably ask to speak to my deputy, Jeremy. And um, we will try to get them set up at a vote center. Um, yes, they will have to attend training. Training classes are ongoing this week and next week. So we've heard all over national news now about the problems in Maricopa County with people patrolling outside of ballot boxes, the drop-off boxes, they're armed. What's the plan to handle anything like that that happens here in Pima County? And so far we haven't heard of that. That's really the recorder's domain, but in speaking with her probably just about 15 minutes ago, um, we have not had that here in Pima County, 
But on election day, of course, you know, we have the 75 foot limit. Typically, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen outside the 75 foot limit. So if it is intimidating voters, if voters feel intimidated, even though they're outside that 75 foot limit, then they're going to be asked to leave or we're going to call law enforcement to ask them to leave because just because they're outside that line doesn't mean that they're not intimidating voters if for some reason they're armed um, and, and there. So. And that 75-foot limit, that's the line where there's no campaigning, there's no election activity inside that line other than voting. That is absolutely correct, yes. We also heard about threats being directed towards people, be it staff members or volunteers around the country. How's everything here in Pima County? How's your staff doing? My staff is doing doing great. Um, had a forum last week where we actually discussed this, and Pima County, even in August and even right now, we have not had those threats. The voters, political workers, the, the political parties, everyone's been very cooperative. Um, everybody wants the voters to have a great experience. And so we are working together and we've not had that experience here in Pima County and want it to stay that way. This is the first general election for Pima County where we've used the voting centers rather than the precincts that everybody grew up with. I know we use them in the primary, but just to remind people, since this is the second time we've used them ever, and maybe for some people the first time if they didn't vote in the primary, What's different? What what happens at a voting center? What do they need to bring? At a vote center, you, you still need to bring identification just like you would in a precinct. So that has not changed. So the requirements of voting have not changed. You need a valid identification in order to vote. Of course, if you do not have that, then you can vote a conditional ballot. But the major change from precinct-based voting to vote centers is that you can go anywhere to vote. So you're not restricted to one location. You can vote near the grocery store, near your children's school, near your job. Let's say you're, you're, you're out for a run. You can stop in and you can vote wherever you see a sign that says vote here, as long as you're a resident of Pima County. So what are some of the concerns? I'm sure your phones are starting to ring off the hook. What are people concerned about? I think a lot of the calls that we've gotten so far is really about early voting. People had not gotten their ballots. They were concerned about that. They've now gotten their ballots. So that's kind of gone away. Um, I think a lot of the questions are about if they do not want to vote their early ballot, what do they do? Um, and so there was a law change where if they choose not to vote that ballot, they can actually go to the vote center on election day and cast a regular ballot. As long as they have not voted their ballot, they can come into the vote center and do that. That was Pima County Elections Director Constance Hargrove. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Zach Ziegler is our producer with production help from Samantha Larned. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.